0: Welcome to Entertainment Geekly, Entertainment Weekly's guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich, and with me, as always, is EW's Jeff Jensen.
1: Darren, how are you this week?
0: I'm doing great, Jeff. A lot of exciting news, so let's get right to it with the EW Geek News Roundup. Uh, Just yesterday, we got our first look at the trailer for Call of Duty Black Ops 2, which I think is probably the 90th Call of Duty game in the last few years. Uh, Little little twist here, Jeff. The new Call of Duty is going to be set in the future, complete with robots firing missiles. This is sort of a, a bit of a reboot, I think, for the franchise. It's almost... Odd to see that they feel the need to reboot it when they've made so much money off of it. What are your What are your thoughts on Call of Duty suddenly transforming into the next Terminator film?
1: Um, you know, I think that they, that there were hints that maybe they would think about this direction and go in this direction when they um, went, went into the Call of Duty uh, uh, Black Ops uh, whole idea. Um, you know, shrug. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it it'll be cool. I am sure that I will check it out. At this point in you know video games like these, like how many more wars do we really have uh, to to play?
0: It's true. You, you know, you know, I'm I'm sort of the I, I have to admit that I, I'm sort of the like you know pointy headed video gamer who likes to you know play Journey and cry and you know write poetry about it. So I I, I haven't been interested in Call of Duty. For a while, uh, to me, it's only interesting because you know this is a, such a, a franchise that has been kind of minting money every year off of you know basically delivering the same product, and it's it's odd to me that they seem to feel the need to even change at all. So I, I'm 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 a little bit interested. I mean, will you will th- will this convince you to to even give it a try, or are you pretty much through with Call of Duty? No, I mean,
1: th- th- there's no novelty here. That makes me want to like you know really get amped up for it at the same time, I kind of view these these games as uh, like like franchise filmmaking in a way, but but maybe less grandiose and certainly less special, maybe more like a television series these These games are having an ongoing conversation with a fan base. Um, so in order to keep these conversations alive every year, you need to sort of update it with with new material and what, I think what hardcore gamers and and and, and those who kind of want a little more art in their video games hope for from our, our better video game production companies is a little more ambition, a little more outside-the-box thinking, and maybe that's what we want from this. But at the same time, uh, I, I'm not going to slag the game too much because I think that the, the the large, generalized fan base for this game and for this franchise – they're they're going to be really excited and they're going to be really satisfied with getting sort of a clever um, but altogether new you know updating of that ongoing conversation they have with one of their favorite games. I'm I'm not a huge Call of Duty uh, gamer. I'm not really I would say these days anymore like a, a huge gamer in general. So I, I, I am neither aggrieved nor excited by, by by this development.
0: So so basically, what you're saying is y- you know you'd you prefer ambition but just adding in robots is is maybe maybe enough for call of duty for now just uh for now
1: yeah yeah <laughs> I, and i love ambition i'm excited by ambition i and 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 if this if if these, these these folks give me an ambitious game i'm, I'm definitely there to try it and sample it uh-huh. but yeah i think that what you're what you're gently coaxing me toward darren is 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 to agree with you <laughs> <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> which is which is yeah I'm, i am i am i am not excited i'm not Impressed, but I'm but I'm not outraged either.
0: Uh-huh. Nice and nice and neutral. Okay. Uh, uh, let's let's move on to uh, the other big piece of uh, geek of, of news from from the world of geekdom this week. Uh, DC is in the midst of launching the second wave of its new Fifty Two reboot. Uh, it canceled six underperforming series and is bringing in six new ones. Uh, Jeff, you know you you wrote a lot about the new Fifty Two when it happened last year. W- what's your kind of perspective on these new New series how do you how do you think that the, the grand experiment has worked out after about you know one about nine months to a year into it sort of like being around
1: Yes, what we're seeing here is sort of the emergence of, of a new model that 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 dc is embracing and pursuing which is that you know every year we're going to we're we're gonna function like a television network almost and we're gonna launch new shows and We're going to keep the ones that perform, and we're going to keep our staple shows, of course. Um, But we're going to phase out the low performers and and, and introduce new series. Um, And we're going to do that um, at at a time, a designated time, every year. So we can get a, a big marketing bang behind all of them and launch them all at once philosophically i really like this idea um the creative creatively though these specific titles this current iteration this new this new season uh the summer season if you will of the new 52 you know uh eh. um, I, I i'm i'm interested in checking out earth 2 um because i've always had a fondness for that creative world everything else doesn't doesn't really do anything for me at all.
0: So you're not excited about the War of the Time Forgot, which finally brings together, uh, the you know, finally brings back this notion of soldiers fighting dinosaurs. I mean, I I personally feel like, you know, that's something that's been really missing from the comic book world in a long time is good topical, uh, you know, a sort of journalistic take on, on warfare featuring helicopters fighting against pterodactyls. I I, I have to kind of uh, agree, frankly. I, I couldn't even really get through my snarky statement just then. It, it sort of feels like, you know, <laughs> there was a a big launch with a lot of interesting creative notions behind the new 52. If this is sort of as you're describing, the notion that every now and then we'll sort of trim the fad and come back with more interesting stuff. If this is the first attempt at that, it sort of feels like, it, it, so far, I'm not really on board. You know, there's no kind of, there's, there's nothing in this lineup that's like Animal Man where I'm just instantly like, okay, this is something new and interesting and really sort of innovative.
1: Uh, and Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. That, that said, th- th- there's some ideas behind these launches that I really appreciate and would love to see. Um, them do more of like, I, I, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the whole crazy notion of dial H for hero. And they've, uh, they have recently, this is now part of the new 52 and they've brought in a, a noted sci-fi novel, fantasy novelist to, to, to write that book. And I, and I love that idea. I love kind of going outside uh, the comics world and bringing in a, a a cool new talent, or, or, or a talent who had not necessarily ha- has a talent that has made their name in another field and now kind of bringing that perspective into comics and kind of marrying that with some quirky properties. I, I really like that idea. I, I'm not sure if I'm impressed with this specific result, but I love the idea behind it.
0: Thanks, Jeff. And that concludes our weekly Geek News Roundup. Hi. Now, Jeff, obviously uh, today sees the release of The Avengers. I, I think it's fair to say this is uh, one of the most anticipated uh, superhero movies ever. It-, it's- it certainly has been you know, on the horizon for a very long time. We're going to talk a little bit more about it next week, uh, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to say. But uh, I-, I wanted to, t- to take this opportunity. I-, I think it'll be fun if you and I maybe just list out what our personal top three superhero movies are and you know I want to kind of clarify this is superhero movies that were adapted from comic books so you know we can't just throw in the Incredibles or Unbreakable which I think would probably dominate my my top three frankly Uh, Right. or
1: or, or similarly I think that maybe you might agree with this too like one of the best superheroes ever uh, movies ever made that really wasn't technically about a superhero was The Matrix
0: absolutely right
1: and I, I have a huge soft spot in fact for Chronicle which came out earlier this year and was sort of like a deconstructionist, like, you know, subversive take on the whole superhero origin story, not unlike Unbreakable, but in that found footage style. But yes, we are not talking about original ideas um, that cinema has given us in this genre. We're talking about ideas that, cinema, that, that Hollywood has ripped off from, uh, no, I'm sorry, has wiped <laughs> from the comic book world.
0: Right. We're, we're, we're only dealing with with dreadfully unoriginal pr- projects here, is, is, is what we're saying. Um, so but we go- have
1: a huge soft spot for this. I, exactly, exactly. I mean, for, for both of us, I think if you grew up reading comics, you only dreamed about, man, if one day they made the X-Men into a movie, and here's my dream cast, and I'm going to write a letter to the letter column and pitch my idea for a movie, and now we actually live in that world.
0: Well, that cool. that is that is a topic for for another day. The fact that uh, the twelve year old versions of you and me are apparently running Hollywood right now <laughs> exactly, which is the which is really the only explanation that that I've come up with for the existence of X Men Origins Wolverine. I, I I literally enacted that plot with my X Men action figures when I was twelve right. years old. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and start in our top three. Jeff, what's what's your number three favorite superhero movie?
1: You know. At number three, on any given day, you can find a different movie at my number three. You can find Spider-Man 2. You can find Batman Begins. You can even find, and if I'm in a certain kind of frame of mind, uh, Zack Snyder's adaptation of Watchmen. Um, But number three today um, is one of my favorite subversive um, uh, takes on the whole genre, which is Matthew Vaughn's 2010 adaptation of the comic book Kick-Ass, mm-hmm. um, which uh, I think had just a lot of style, a lot of smarts, a great use of music, and one of my favorite superhero characters that have made it to the big screen, Chloe Mertz's uh, hit girl, was just a force of foul-mouthed-like nature. Uh, and uh, just, uh, I-, I have a huge uh, affection for that movie, and I, with with a caveat, Darren, which is that I saw a version of the film months before um, it was released in its in its final version, a press screening in which Vaughn had scored the movie with bits and pieces of other superhero movie soundtracks, so John Williams' Superman score, um, Danny Elfman's Batman score, and he used those in effective and ironic ways throughout the movie, and it really enhanced the experience and. Um, I'm kind of bummed that that kind of, that that version of the movie was not wide, widely released, or so I'm told.
0: Can I just point out uh, to our to our listeners that was Jeff Jensen bragging about awesome screenings he gets to go to that you will never get to see. Je- <laughs> Jeff Jensen br- br- that, brushing that it that off was, over here. I, at, uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel very bad. That was uh, that, that that is me at my worst. No, no, no. That's oh, that, right? that,
0: that that that's great. I, I almost wonder if there's some sort of like you know almost famous director's cut version of the movie that should be released where you know it comes with with the liner notes for you know now is when you play the John Williams score and now is when you play the Batman score. Exactly. But, that sounds cool. And, you know, I I have to agree. What I like about—or rather, uh, I I have to agree with the notion of liking Kick-Ass. I I like the fact that it sort of manages to combine being deconstructive with sort of coming up with its own particular sort of swaggery sense of of, of the superhero myth. Uh, But I I have to say that my number three, maybe a slightly safer choice— uh, a movie that for me just sort of captures all the kind of gee whiz fun of the original comic book combined with a sensibility that I actually think is very distinctive in some ways in modern superhero movies. Uh, you know, Spider-Man 2, I have to say. It's, it's, it, it's a fan favorite. It's one that everyone points to. But for me, Spider-Man 2 is also that rare movie that kind of manages to bring together what I really think of as being the Marvel style, where you know there's this great sort of jokiness to it, and there's this sort of sense that everybody is always bantering with everybody, and then it can just kind of turn on a dime into kind of really hitting you emotionally. And you know, their kind of their version of Doctor Octopus, I think, is a really sort of interesting take on a character that could easily be done in a very uninteresting way. And and, and even you know, right down to that kind of last shot of Mary Jane, and I, I think it's a it's a really awesome movie that I I think set set a bar that even you know many years later it's hard to say that other movies few movies for me have ever really managed to leap over that bar
1: Spider-Man 2 is 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 a great movie I really love that one too for all the reasons that you've said Strangely enough, what I remember most about that movie is not really the action, which was extremely impressive and totally uh, the, the, the version of Dr. Octopus is, is, is really good. But just the emotional aspect of that movie and the, and, and the Peter Parker of it all, I love Peter Parker bike messenger at the beginning of that movie, and I think that ending is is fantastic with Mary Jane kind of watching Spider Man leap into action, and you know the famous line "Go get him, Tiger!" Like it's just it's it, it's pretty perfect. I don't know, Darren, if I ever told you my theory about the about the relationship between Spider Man movies, a, a Sam Raimi's Spider Man movies, and Chris Nolan's Batman movies.
0: Oh no, let's let's hear it,
1: Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan's Batman movies are ironic commentaries on Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies. So if if Spider-Man 1 is all about the whole idea of with great power comes great responsibility, you know, tragic hero, learning from a horrible mistake, that he's gonna, like, draw a line for himself and use his powers responsibly. Batman begins as as exactly the same movie, just a little darker, but adds a caveat to the rule. And the caveat is what Batman tells Ra's al Ghul at the end of the movie, which is, I I don't, um, you know, I'm not gonna kill you, but I don't have to save you either, okay? So it's an interesting kind of distinction to the with great power comes great responsibility idea. And then the Dark Knight in Spider-Man 2, we get that great sort of gee whiz, happy, go getem superhero moment in which Mary Jane watches Spider-Man take off, and she says, you know, go get him, tiger. And that's kind of completely, like, you know, uh, contradicted um, and mirrored by the end of the Dark Knight where Gary Oldman is watching his tiger, uh, <laughs> Batman, race off into the dark and basically saying... And now we're gonna hunt him and kill him. He's gonna be our Dark Knight, you know. Well, and,
0: and you know, there's even something to the fact that Spider-Man Two, of course, is when Mary Jane and Spider-Man, their relationship comes to the fore, and they finally get together. And and in Dark Knight, the there's the flip on that where you know not only does Christopher Nolan kill the love interest, it's also revealed that she 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 wasn't gonna choose Batman, in, in the end, you know, it's just just every every sort of layer of you know the as the the deeper you go, the more sort of like depressive that. Vision of the superhero romance gets, I think. Well, so I have to ask then, Jeff, does this mean the Dark Knight Rises will feature an ironic version of the famous Spider Man dance number? I mean, uh, what, what can we, you know, will, will Batman be, you know, doing a little like uh, nightclub lounge singing act at some point in the movie?
1: Exactly, there, there, there will be that. And, of course, we have, like, you know, Venom in Spider-Man 3, sort of the hulking, you know, like, cautionary tale on steroids uh, being mirrored by, of course, Bane.
0: Interesting, interesting. All right, uh, let's Let's
1: let's really? Yes, thank you for humoring No, no, me, no, no I,
0: I am, I am. I, uh, I'd love to go further down this rabbit hole with you, but uh, uh, let's, let's, let's move on for, for right now. Uh, we'll, right, right,
1: we'll... Right. so I have to give you my number two, right? Yes,
0: what's your, what's your number two?
1: My number 2 favorite superhero movie of all time is Superman 2.
0: Superman 2.
1: Hey. It's kind, of, it's kind of kicking a little old school like there's a lot of moments in Superman 2 that just just stick with me, you know, and, and 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 haunt me to this day even though that we can pick it apart for its special effects and and all that right now, but I love the humor. I loved the villains as much as, you know, they're sort of disco weird, Um, but some great, great moments like Neil before Zod, um the, the whole sequence where 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 superman gives up his powers and then gets beat up in that sort of alaskan town bar um the the whole ending of the movie superman 2 was the movie was actually the story that made me like superman because as much as i'm a fan of like a, a comic books i've never been a huge superman fan growing up i like you know i just felt so, there was something about him kind of boring but that final moment of Superman 2 where he brings like the new roof to the White House <laughs> to the president and says, you know, I'm sorry, I'll never let you down again. There was something just so like inspiring. And in that moment, I walked away as a kid kind of going like, I get it. I understand why Superman is so aspirational and inspiring to so many people for decades. And I'm, so- I,
0: I, I'm, I, I'm very happy to hear that, that that's on your list. It's, it's not on mine, but I, I do think that that is one of the sort of great, and I think in some ways sort of overlooked superhero movies. You know, that's a film that has sort of a strange reputation nowadays. You know, there's there's people who sort of look at the version released in theaters as, you know, just sort of like a, 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 a kind of miscarriage because there's all the backstory about how Richard Donner was working on his version. He was fired. Richard Lester came in. Richard Lester really had more of a comedic sensibility. And I, I think that part of the reason why I like the movie so much is that You know, it it is sort of a mess, and and it sort of has you know, some of the melodrama and, and uh, of the first Superman. Like, I, th- I think that's where you kind of get the Neil before Z- before Zod stuff. There's also just, I mean, for me, some moments that really make me laugh out loud. Like, there's the whole thing where Zod is using his super breath on the citizens of Metropolis. And, you know, it's it, it's like a Keystone Cops movie and everyone's turning end over end. And, you know, some guy comes out of an ice cream shop and the ice cream blows onto another guy. And it's just, I, I mean, something about the sort of, almost accidental insanity of the movie I I think makes it in some ways age better even than some superhero movies that were made, you know, five, ten years ago. I, 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 yeah. I, I like how, and I'm also glad that, you know, you pointed out that scene where Superman gets beat up. I, I think that is a very key part of Superman that you don't often see is this notion of, you know, here's a guy who you know he, he's not really a great and noble person because he has powers he would sort of be that way regardless it's just that you know because he has powers he gets to sort of you know sail off into the atmosphere every now and then no I, I, I'm, I I'm especially glad to hear you say that movie because uh, my, my number two is probably the most obvious pick possible uh, I, I have to go with Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight uh, I, there was there was a brief moment about a year ago when uh, I, I watched Batman Begins and, and The Dark Knight back to back, and actually thought that I might have enjoyed the first movie a little bit more. But I, I just feel like something about what he did with The Dark Knight to simultaneously remove a, a lot of really all of the pageantry from the whole superhero genre. You know, ma- make a movie that feels in some ways like it's in a slightly more Realistic world, right down to the fact that Gotham feels like a character in the movie, and at the same time th- that he managed to do that while sort of saying something new and interesting about the about the Batman character and about the Joker. And not for nothing, the fact that he basically made the biggest Michael Mann movie that Michael Mann will never make, and <laughs> Michael Mann happens to be my, my favorite director. So I, I I have to go with The Dark Knight with the with 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 the caveat that I'm I, I'm intrigued to see whether you know how how that movie looks in the context of the the film that's that's coming out this summer
1: sure you know i i not only uh why well, I, I do i disagree with your estimation of the significance of the dark knight because it should be higher the dark knight is my number one choice on my on number my one <laughs> uh and uh for all the reasons that you've said and and this which is I am not one of those comic book fanboys that needs validation from Hollywood. I don't need to see these superheroes on screen. As much as I told you at the beginning of our conversation that I used to be the kid that said, wouldn't this be cool if it was on screen? Yes, it is cool. But I don't need to, 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 to see them to, to feel validated and more. I kind of... Um, so I don't, I don't come to superhero movies for, for that reason, and nor do I expect superhero movies to give me any kind of definitive story or my favorite story involving those characters. All those my favorite stories are, are in comic book form and always will be. So when I come to a superhero movie, what I'm really looking for, for is storytelling. And I, and I really want a great director to give me, like, a great story, uh, you know, just a great, great storytelling and a great sustained tone. I wouldn't say that Donner and Lester are my favorite directors, um, and, and that's why I put Superman 2 on the list, but Superman 2 has this sort of marvelously sustained tone that is humorous and, and, and life and death stakes and camp um, that, that works all the way through but the dark night works best of all and from the very opening moments where you have that the sh- the, the the shot that Hands across you know chicago doubling for gotham and zeroing in on that monolithic building and the window blows out and the the, the 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 zimmer score that's kind of like that has this ominous sustained hum like from the very beginning you just feel that you're in the hands of a guy that has a story to tell has something to say he's going to say it with great stylishness and there is just this mounting dread and ominousness throughout the whole movie that just blows up big time at the end with the with the amazing scene which i think is one of my favorite scenes in movies ever the upside down hanging joker like taunting uh batman and uh and 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 that great spooky terrifying ending that feels heroic but really isn't um it just it really works for me. I love the Michael Mann comparison that you made. Um, it is this sort of stirring crime flick. It's not, it's not perfect, but, um, but it just does so much right. And, and we could talk about Heath Ledger's Joker. We could talk about Christian Bale. Um, I think one of the unsung heroes of that movie is Aaron Eckhart's Harvey Dent. Um, that that allows Nolan to basically beat up the hero archetype in every single possible way that (laughs) he could never do to Batman because you can't damage Batman that way. Um, But you could put, like, you know, a Harvey Dent character through the ringer and test his morality and test his commitment to justice and then pervert him and corrupt him and have him die a horrible, cynical death. Um, I mean, that was a really bracing vision and kind of really... Provided some really interesting tensions and counterpoints to everyone in the movie. It just works for me.
0: I think you know what you're hitting on is something that I think is it's easy to forget about the movie, which is that you know it really does have so many different moving parts, and feels to me like you know it's it, it's sprawling, but it's not a mess, which I think is the really interesting thing. And you know, like I've I've had sort of the conversations before where what, what, what I like about it is almost that in some respects it's the rare superhero movie where you could you could very easily argue that the superhero is purposefully the least sort of essential character at times. I mean, you know, you could look at the movie as being, you know, Harvey Dent is the hero and this is about his sort of fall from grace. You could also look at the movie with, you know, I I think in some ways the Joker as, you know, the, the sort of lovable antihero whose sort of whole goal is just to, you know, be this sort of like chaotic figure. It's It's something that you don't see that often where, you know, it does sort of ultimately wind up being about a very pivotal turning point in the Batman mythology, but it, it it doesn't immediately come on the way that a lot of superhero films do, which is that, you know, here we have, you know, Iron Man 2, yet another important moment in the, in the story of the most important man on Earth, Iron Man. It, it's the rare movie that really feels to me like every character in it is so sort of essential. Also, not to be overlooked is that, you know, it's also just a movie that I think is really fun in an interesting way. And I remember watching for the first time on IMAX, there's that awesome scene where Batman goes to Hong Kong. I'm pretty sure that scene only exists because Christopher Nolan thought it would be cool to, to see Batman flying over Hong Kong in IMAX. And he's yeah. right. I mean, it really, you know, that, that moment for me is, you know, it, it brought me back to, you know, watching, like, you know, IMAX movies about Everest when I was a kid, you know? There, there's something so cinematic about it that I, I, I think you rarely see in superhero movies. It's, a, it's this understanding that, you know, we can't just sort of make what you said a movie that satisfies the comic book fan in us. We have to really figure out, you know, what, what do we do to turn this into a real big-screen experience?
1: Yeah, um, I, I, love, I love decisions that movies make like that where, <clears throat> excuse me, I love, I love moments like that in movies where a movie that is sort of very much set in a specific time or place suddenly takes you 180 degrees to a different locale. It really kind of um, reminds me of the, uh, the flashback sequence in the middle of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which helps sort of like um, inflate that movie to a feeling of epic. Um, um, and, and, and Dark Knight is the same way. We're stuck. We're trapped in Gotham. And then all of a sudden we have this interlude moment um, <laughs> in, in, in Hong Kong and a really... Like help psychologically, like give you this sense of, of, of scope that's just huge.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very true. Also, not to be not to be overlooked there, I think, is the fact that it is it is one of the great supervillains in uh, maybe maybe the finest in in the history of, of superhero movies. And you know, at a, at a certain point, superhero movies, you know, they're like James Bond movie. The hero isn't necessarily the most interesting person. More often than not, you know, it's the villain who gets to be the kind of scenery chewing, uh, you know, bad d de- advocating character. And, you know, I, 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 it's hard to think of anyone one-upping Heath Ledger just for sort of pure manic scenery-chewing insanity. I mean, it, it, every, every scene of, of him in there is, 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 is a standout, really. Um, well, I, you know, I, it's funny. My, my number one, uh, it's also a film that was released in 2008, uh, maybe in some ways a, a, a little bit jokier than Dark Knight. Um, my number one superhero movie is Hellboy Two: The Golden Army.
1: <laughs> Can always count on Darren Franich to throw you the curveball.
0: I uh, I have to admit, and and I th- th- this movie was actually on FX last night, so I got to rewatch it just to make sure that you know I I wasn't just being you know snarky for the sake of being snarky and you know choosing the movie that nobody else chooses. And I I, I have to admit, this movie for me comes closest to what I think we were talking about, what you were talking about, with Superman Two. This whole notion of this very particular, very sustained, very unique tone. You know, this is, this is it's, it's a sequel to a movie that was based on a character that few people really knew about. And it's, weirdly, it's the last film that Guillermo del Toro has directed. It was his, his sort of swan song before setting off on the sad tragedy of The Hobbit that never was. And there's something about this movie that just never fails to bring a smile to my face. I I think it's partially because, you know, Ron Perlman, who spent an entire career in makeup, just really knows that he has the role of his life. And I, I think there's something so compelling about how that character is at once you know, it, 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 immortal, and you know comes from this sort of H.P. Lovecraft history. And on the other hand, there's this sort of every guy who has these little ticks. But I, what I think I like about it is, you know, it really feels to me like, um, like uh, it's it, it's an actual movie. You know, like it 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 seems to sort of you know the the sort of like plot behind it. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't feel to me like it's necessarily leading you into the, into the next movie in any way. It doesn't feel like you have to have seen the original Hellboy to understand it. It's just a movie about a bunch of really interesting characters who all kind of oddly have their own kind of fascinating plots along the way. And there's that great scene where Hellboy and the, and the fish man are both singing about love and you know having a beer. It, it, it feels for me like at once very tossed off and really remarkably planned out. And it has, I think, just... The most interesting visuals of any superhero movie, you know, o- oddly for a genre that seems like it should be all about the visuals, it, it's it's really rare that I think I've seen something new in a superhero movie. And there are just sequences here that you know, it it seems like Del Toro was just like, hey, I I finally got a big budget. I'm I'm going to send him to a crazy Goblin Market, you know, like I'm going to try to outdo the Moss Eisley Cantina, and you know, damned if he didn't succeed. It 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 feels, for me. Like Dark Knight, it's an example of a real, unique creative mind finding just the right material for him to play around with. And I think if if there's any, if the one reason why for me it's better than Dark Knight is that I think at a certain point, much as I love it, the Dark Knight is a little bit in love with its deeper themes and this this notion of chaos and order and good and evil. And you know, at a certain point, Hellboy plays around with that, but I, I think it, there's a sort of puckish not to say European sensibility like it's a good thing, but a puckish European sensibility behind it that I I think uh, is very unique in Hollywood. So... I love
1: how Darren you are distinguishing uh, Hellboy Two from The Dark Knight by saying that it's not as pretentious as The Dark Knight by by likening it to a European a puckish art film.
0: <laughs> you know, it's one of those one of those puckish art films by you know Jean Luc Godard or uh, you know Louis Bunuel. I mean, uh, you know that's what that's what the youth of America America are really calling for it now, Jeff? No, you yeah. know,
1: I, I, Darren, I I appreciate and respect your appreciation and respect for Hellboy too. Um, I I have a confession to make, which is that um, as much as I really love the first Hellboy, in fact, I think it could possibly like get into number three on my list of favorite superhero movies ever. I, I think I admitted a couple weeks ago that I have a I have several pop culture blind spots uh, 96 I think exactly and one of them is indeed Hellboy 2 I'm ashamed to say that um, it, is, it is maybe the one Guillermo del Toro film that I have not seen
0: Oh no, Guillermo will be so disappointed to hear that, Jeff.
1: I know. I I I feel bad. I need to rectify that mistake so that I can repair my relationship with 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 him and with Geek Culture. I believe, Darren.
0: <laughs> well, my 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 pitch to you, having having given you the the hard sell just now, my my pitch to you would be that, you know, here's here's a movie that, in some ways, feels almost like it was made in 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 the 80s. It sort of has that sort of like. That, that, that unstructured feel of a, of, of, uh, of a fantasy film, almost like Labyrinth. Um, and at the same time, I, I think it's a movie that all ages can kind of enjoy. I think this will be a real favorite at the uh, Jensen household with you and your uh, 12 wacky children.
1: My, my 12 wacky children, minus the nine that don't yet um, occupy corporal form, um, will love a tale of an overgrown, Satan-spawned, child struggling for redemption <laughs> supernatural bad guys
0: can't wait to hear what they think about it uh... all right uh, listeners that concludes uh... me and jeff's top three uh, superhero films uh... please let us know what your top three are in uh, the comment in the comment boards we're excited to hear from you if you uh, disagree with us we're excited to hear your counter arguments and i I, may I personally say if there's one other fan of hellboy two out there i i would love to hear from you our club meetings are Tuesday nights from 7.30 to 8.30. Um, please, p- please bring pie if, if, if you uh, can make some.
1: Nice, nice.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. That concludes this episode of Entertainment Geekly. Next week we'll be talking about the season finale of Fringe and we'll be doing our presumably very in-depth recap of The Avengers. Jeff, always a pleasure, man.
1: Always a pleasure with you. I cannot wait to dig into the Avengers next week and talk about the the Joss Whedon of it all, and geek out maybe on our maybe some of our favorite comic book Avengers storyline.
0: Can't wait. Next week's subtitle is already the Joss Whedon of it all. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody.